0: If you're spending in the order of magnitude of like hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars a year with Google, it's not sufficient for them to just say, hey, here's your attribution, here's your reporting, and that's good enough. Like they, they kind of needed their own systems to be able to validate everything. And they had teams of causal economists, data engineers, product teams that I worked with closely. If somebody searches for Jones Road Beauty in Google, did you need to serve an ad? Did you need to do a brand search ad? Like Would they have I, bought anyways? Like would they have bought it anyways? Because you know... They're searching for your exact thing. They're not searching for other competitive companies or, or anything else. A Really common example is like if you're at a coffee shop and there's a little sign for a cappuccino at the cash register and you order a cappuccino, did that sign get you to buy a cappuccino or did it just have perfect attribution because it was shown to everybody who ended up buying one?
1: Welcome to down to chat. I have no idea what episode this is, but I'm super excited about today's episode today. I'm actually solo with a guest. Eli's not here. We're doing another one later on today, but I'm super excited to get really nerdy into some growth stuff. And I've got an amazing guest. I've got Zach Epstein, who's the founder of house. I'm gonna let Zach introduce himself in a second. Um, But Zach is an amazing guy. He's really, really smart, ex-Googler who's building a platform that we are currently using and uh, finding a lot of success from called House to really make incrementality testing uh, a lot easier and more measurable for brands. So Zach, thanks so much for joining us and welcome on the show.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
1: I'm super excited, man. I'm, I'm really excited. You know, I think House is blowing up right now. Everyone's talking about incrementality, um, and I think you're building something cool. So would love to get into it super quick. would love for you to just do a super quick bio about yourself and kind of how, you know, the genesis story of House would be great.
0: Yeah, that, that sounds great. So uh, I founded House originally in July of 2021. Uh, before this, I was at Google for seven years. Uh, when I was at Google, I, I held a variety of roles that um, you know I think are relevant to what we're doing here. I was an analytical lead working on the entertainment analytics team. so If you think like companies like Netflix, Hulu, like large uh, entertainment advertisers. Um, I was leading the entertainment analytics team for a while. And then probably most relevant for what we're doing here is I was leading a lot of initiatives on advanced attribution and experimentation. So I was deeply embedded with the conversion lift team, geo experiments, all of the kind of measurement methodologies that come out of Google. And I was really focused on how do we help the world's most sophisticated advertisers, think of like a Netflix, or a booking.com, or an Uber, eBay, Uh, the people who really care about incrementality, how do we help them build an infrastructure to validate the results that they're seeing from a Google and from a meta in their own data? Um, And the way to think about this is, if you're spending in the order of magnitude of like hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars a year with Google, it's not sufficient for them to just say, hey, here's your attribution, here's your reporting, And that's good enough. Like they kind of needed their own systems to be able to validate everything. And they had teams of causal economists, data engineers, product teams that I worked with closely. Um, And then the last two years I was at Google, I actually moved into product where I was a product manager, uh, specifically in YouTube ads, but I was working on the future of cookie less and um, IDFA less ad targeting. So like advanced contextual targeting, keywords, topics, I was working on a lot in the placement picker, but pretty technical uh, understanding of what was going on and how to be able to target users without a deterministic resolved user ID. And um, in working on that, I, I just became enamored with what was going on in the measurement space and how the measurement space is really changing, how systems like conversion lift or like first-party platform-based conversion lift or incrementality-based reporting are gonna have just more, you know, first of all, privacy challenges in the future. But also just cross-network reconciliation issues of how do you resolve Google and Meta? Like they're both telling me something, but what do I do with this? Like it's great that I get a CPIA from one platform, but it's not necessarily equivalent to another. And I, I realized there was another way. Like I've, I've built these types of systems out with companies before, and I thought about what if I did this as an independent platform where we could work directly for brands and make sure that we're you know highly incentivized and aligned with. Our only goal is to help companies, you know, reduce costs, increase profits, increase revenue. Um, and yeah, like since then, we've sort of been off to the races. You know, first up was convincing my partner to let me quit my job and found the company. <laughs> That's
1: probably I, the hardest part.
0: Yeah, that, that was the hardest part. I was self-funding it in the early days with my own money. And now almost two years later, we're working with you know, a broad spectrum of brands, seeing some really amazing and just super who interesting. Are,
1: who are some brands besides Jones Road, who's a customer, who else can you tell us um, that you guys are working with?
0: Yeah, so so uh, some that we've had like published case studies with are FanDuel, Ritual Vitamin, uh, Caraway, um, Jasper AI is a customer, um, nice. uh, Sunday Lawn Care is a customer. So a lot in the e-commerce, D2C, uh, Sonos is a customer, it's another one like D2C, e-commerce, but also mobile apps, and you know, really spanning. I can talk about like the types of customers that get the most benefit from House, but like, you know, trying to sell something online or trying to get people to take a specific action uh, are the folks who who definitely have the most benefit with us.
2: Season three of Down to Chat is brought to you by Tapcart. We've chatted a bunch about Tapcart in the past, but they make it extremely easy to create an app that often sees higher conversion, higher LTV, higher LTV. Uh, from all the folks that use it. I wanted to briefly highlight our friends Ron and Ash from Obvi. You've probably seen them on Twitter. They create a ton of magic with Obvi. Um, Some stats that they've seen with Tapcart, 100% higher conversion rate in-app versus mobile web, 95% app user retention, 15 plus percent higher AOV in-app, and 1.5x transactions on-app for everyone on their website. If looking at these stats, their app has an impressive conversion rate uh, you know, on on app versus mobile web, higher retention, higher AOV, all of which you know increase their LTV and overall revenue. They're so awesome at creating you know a community and driving that community towards their app as a tool to turn shoppers into brand advocates. If you've not yet checked out Tapcart, check them out today and get up to two months free when you sign up. It's tabcart.com forward slash down to chat. Tapcart.com forward slash down to chat. Now let's get into it.
1: So help me help me understand the problem. I mean, I, I understand it, but I want to try to, you know, communicate it. We've probably got um, you know, pretty wide range of people listening to this, probably people just launching might not be as sophisticated with you know the technical aspects and might not know what incrementality is, all the way to probably nine figure businesses who might even be a customer or are doing it. So like help me understand the problem. What is incrementality? Uh, and why should people be thinking about it and you know, moving maybe beyond what Google or Meta is telling them?
0: Yeah, I mean, the concept of incrementality, I think, is is one that we all think about inherently in our lives, but for some reason, a lot of us just don't apply to the world of marketing immediately, where the question is always, would this action have taken place if I didn't intervene or if I didn't do anything? Um, the really obvious example, like, you know, you know, use Jones Road Beauty as like an example, is if somebody searches for Jones Road Beauty in Google, did you need to serve an ad? Did you need to do a brand search ad? Like would they have I, bought anyways? Like would they have bought it anyways? Because you know they're searching for your exact thing. They're not searching for other competitive companies or, or anything else. So there's always that question, or like, you know, a really common example is like if you're at a coffee shop and there's a little sign for a cappuccino at the cash register and you order a cappuccino, did that sign get you to buy a cappuccino, or did it just have perfect attribution because it was shown to everybody who ended up buying one? and it's just um, like a checkpoint. It's like a checkpoint. And it's one of the big things that's changed in the world of marketing is, you know, for a long time, advertising was not hyper-targeted, super specific, tracking you around the web and like like really sophisticated algorithms or artificial intelligence and the targeting infrastructure. Uh, Now, like companies kind of know what you're gonna do or these ad platforms know what you're gonna do before you do it. So often there's a question of like, did I need to serve these ads? Or was I just wasting our money? And um, so like, when you get your platform reporting results, if you get something from Google or from meta, and you know, meta says there's 100 conversions, and Google says there's 100 conversions, there's like a number of questions I think companies should be asking themselves. First, they should be saying, did I need to add, spend this money in order to get these sales? Like, yes or no. And then there's a whole cross network component of, you know, Google says there's 100 and Facebook says there is 100. But like, in your data warehouse, there might not actually be 200 sales. Um, There's (laughs) definitely a cross collaboration effort here. And, you know, these are the types of issues we we really try to help companies understand is, you know, what are your ads actually contributing to your business? Understanding the cannibalization of where your other media might be running.
1: Awesome. Cool. No, that's that's a great answer. And I think pretty much anyone will be able to understand that. Um, Just another one would love for you to explain kind of like what a holdout is, like maybe do like a two two cell three cell, but just explain kind of like how you, you know, validate and do these experiments would be awesome.
0: Fundamentally in any of these marketing experiments, the the question you're trying to ask yourself is what happens in a world where my ads exist versus what happens in a world where my ads don't exist. And the question is really just how do you construct that world? So if you are a Google or you're a meta and you have signed in users, you can attribute people to treatment and control groupings. There's cross device issues. There's email issues. You don't have an IDFA anymore, which can get a little bit more complicated, but fundamentally, like who are you serving ads to and who are you not? And like, I had worked really closely with the team at Google who like wrote the ghost bits paper as an example that, that talks about a lot of these issues. Um, and, uh, so, so that would be like how a network would do it. You, you run into some like, tracking issues like post iOS 14.5 and cookie deprecation um, on the advertiser side. But then there's a company like house or like, what we're trying to build is this agnostic platform that can work across every network in the exact same way. Or You can even have Google or Facebook in the same experiment. And what we're doing is we're building scenarios or models where you're able to work on cross network resolution of in these geos, there is no advertising, we are creating a holdout of like We are creating a synthetic world where your ads don't exist versus a world where your ads do and then building really sophisticated algorithms to compare what's happening where your ads are running versus what's happening where your ads aren't running. And by resolving off of a geo-identifier, and we do this in a number number of ways, but what it enables you to do is to say, hey, like, you know, you can have a persistent identifier that works across Google and Meta or Google and Meta and Snap or TikTok uh, all in the same experiment, but really. The, the question is just like, how do we create this world where there's no advertising, and then how do we create this world where there's advertising, and then compare them in a really precise way?
1: And then usually it's what you're saying no advertising, it's, it's really no advertising on this channel, right? So it's it, like, if I wanted to do measure the incrementality of meta, I'm going to run meta ads in, in a channel. Let's say you're on Google and TikTok as well, everything else would be the same, but in your yeah. whole doubt, you just would not get the treatment, which w- which would be no meta, correct?
0: Exactly. So we're, we're isolating it to that specific channel. I mean, some of our customers do cross network experiments where they'll say, Hey, we're actually not as interested in meta alone. We're interested in meta plus TikTok plus Pinterest. And then you can have a persistent whole network that works across those multiple networks. But if you're really trying to like, we want to understand what's happening here and then really understand is our other marketing picking up that slack, like like, that is really the question is like, how much credit should I be assigning to this channel that would not have happened anyways without, you know, running your advertising there.
1: And then you also have three cells, which I've learned and we've ran where it's like, where you're you're running, you know, different, uh, different experiments in each one. Obviously you always have a holdout. So you always have, have none, like we'll talk about it later, but like we did YouTube. So we did kind of business as usual, what we were spending on YouTube in one cell, holdout and none, and then increased spend on YouTube. Cause we wanted yep. to answer the question. How incremental is current YouTube spend? And then what happens if we spend more?
0: Exactly. So like a multi-cell experiment is like, you still have that holdout. So you're still able to create, you know, what you're, what you're doing here is you're creating multiple worlds rather than like a world where your ad exists and a world, ad, a world where your ad doesn't exist. You're creating three worlds. And a world where your ad doesn't exist and then where one subset of ads exist and then where another set of ads exist. So like in the the case that you brought up, like you'd have a control and you'd have a business as usual so you could understand, hey, what is our marketing, you know, YouTube as the example, like what is YouTube contributing to the business? But then also what would YouTube be contributing to the business if you increase the amount of spend or decrease the amount of spend or change the way you target or audiences or, or something else and why this is really helpful is like if you think about these like from a modeling exercise like a lot of companies will be trying to model things and how do we make these numbers work everything that you do through a platform like house is observable so we can say hey what actually happened was by spending more you got this many new conversions or this many new sales Um, so it's it's really giving you that in your own data warehouse so uh, you're able to like understand and synthesize the results and then apply it to your business going forward.
1: And primary KPIs, you're you're not looking, you're not looking at attribution, you're not looking at, you know, however these ad platforms are are modeling things and attributing, which is way beyond over my head, but you're looking at just like what are your business KPIs? You look at revenue, new customer revenue, new new orders, stuff like that.
0: Anything that, like, you know, companies are able to share with us any data that makes the most sense for them. Like, what are the the questions that you as a CMO have? What are the questions that the board of directors might have, a finance team might have? Like, how do you think about your business? And then how do we report out on the ways that you think about your business? Like, this kind of goes into a whole other conversation around how convoluted the world of digital advertising is. um, And my just personal belief that it's deliberately complicated where I think a lot of companies like you know the Googles or the Metas or really any digital ad platform, they're like, here's impressions and clicks and views and engaged views and click-through conversions and different attribution models. And you get into all of this. And ultimately, what a lot of marketers end up reporting on is something that the business doesn't really care about. Like the business isn't interested in click-through share. Like that, that isn't really kind of like a metric anyone thinks about the health of their company. So really, we try to focus on what does the company really care about? and then that is the reporting mechanism where we can say hey your advertising impacted this or your advertising didn't um we we have like different levels of shallowness of conversion events or kind of like KPIs that can come through to house but i always advocate for for companies of like we should be constructing things to answer the questions that people really have is there like is it pretty much always like
1: revenue kind of performance related like revenue new customer revenue new orders or do you ever ma- you know measure stuff like traffic and and the impact of maybe, you know, doing a holdout on traffic and sessions and things
0: like that. Yeah, it could be like, it could be sessions, website visits or things that people do. App Mm -hmm. installs is something that app based companies can do. Right. Um, But really like we, we tried to build this in a flexible enough way where, you know, we can work on multiple metrics. But the other really powerful thing is we can report on multiple KPIs in the same experiment. So if you, you know, the really thing you care about is revenue but you also kind of want to know what happened with site visits or you kind of want to know what happened with installs if you have them, we'd be able to report on those metrics as well. Like really, anything It's very similar to like to us,
1: Google Optimize, like the setup to me, it kind of like seemed very similar. It's like, you know, you go through, set up your experiment and you put in your primary KPI and then you're putting in like secondary.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's definitely, it's it's not far off. I mean, like, you know, there's like the whole world of like DDA and like data-driven attribution that we were, we were pushing for a long time at Google. I think the, the thing that's really... I don't know, at least from my perspective, that's really different. Is like, I really think about us as an extension of a data warehouse or like an extension of mm-hmm. Shopify, where we are really neatly integrated with the company's own data and not having to like, you know, Hey, this is what we see in Android and let's apply it to iOS. And, you know, cause I think like iOS 14.5 and ATT really impacted a lot of that. So it's, it's yeah. really trying to be focused on the, this holistic view of, um, and one of the coolest things I think for us as house is we report on what companies see internally. Like, it's really, like, these things are highly aligned.
1: Business-level impact, which I know, you know, Meta's out. They've got, like, the Performance Marketing Summit, and I just saw some stuff on Twitter about it, but, like, I know they're coming out with their new, like, Performance 5, and, like, one of the things that they keep preaching, I guess they already came out with it, is, like, business-level impact, and I think when they say that, they're really, like, how Mm -hmm. do ads and changes in your your ad spend and your strategies really um, change not what you see in the platform, but what are the metrics that you actually care about, which is usually like CPA based off actual customers, not just a pixel event. And then also, you know, revenue.
0: It's like, how do we orient all companies to focus on what actually matters to them or like, like actual customers rather than conversion pixel fires or, you know, a lot of stuff that can happen in the world of of marketing that isn't really what companies care about.
1: Is there like a a minimum threshold size for this? Are there any companies or brands who you think, you know, this is not ready for like, for example, so we use Northbeam additionally for, you know, MTA and we kind of, you know, do a lot of things and we'll, we'll, we'll look to kind of now start calibrating that with house. But, you know, I, I think something like that. A North Beam, it's probably not relevant for a seven-figure business who's just spending on meta. I don't think you have to get too scientific at, at that stage because you're pretty much on one channel. And you know, if you're spending more on Facebook and your revenue goes up, that's great. Like I don't you probably don't have to hold out, at least my opinion, is like yeah. you know, you're just trying to find product market fit. But probably when you get into multiple channels, like is that how you approach it? What what size brands do you think this makes sense for?
0: Yeah, I think it really makes sense. Like, and where I think we're we're really most powerful is helping companies solve the cross network issue. If you're advertising in more than one domain, I think a platform like house is really really valuable. So if you're in Google and Meta or Google and TikTok or Meta and TikTok, uh really when you're in more than one place, otherwise I think the, you know, the first party platform reporting is is definitely good enough. Um also from like a, you know, from a marketing investment standpoint or I guess depending how you think of it from a revenue standpoint. If you're if you're spending in the low single digits and millions, it's probably like If I were just like a Zach, the marketing consultant, I'd probably be saying consolidate with Google or Meta, just really build a clear understanding of how your ads impact your business at that level, try to optimize within that bucket. And then when you're looking to expand, but like if you're spending still in the single digits of millions, I think it's really that, you know, we want to understand across multiple networks, but, but also just the, you know, if you're looking to grow your business with confidence, like how do we go from spending $3 million a year in marketing to 6 million? Or Eight million. We can be a really powerful tool to help companies build the confidence in like what are you actually getting and make that case with you know finance executive teams. Um, so I think it's really also if you if you imagine your business is growing or changing, I think those are the other opportunities for for a platform like House.
1: For sure. So if somebody's like, hey, we're gonna we want to spend three this year, we want to spend six next year. What are the best channels for us to put that money in? That that's kind of yeah. where it might make sense.
0: Exactly. Like you could test all of the new channels. You can understand how the existing channels are kind of, uh, are, uh, being contaminated by what you're currently doing or what you're trying next. Like there's a whole cross network impact of like, like multiple channels taking credit for the same thing. So if you want to grow with confidence or you want to increase the budget and you're not exactly sure how, uh, this would be a really powerful opportunity, both in finding new platforms that could potentially work, but also then how to buy those platforms.
1: That makes sense. That makes sense. Totally. So want to switch gears a little bit. I think that's like great background on house and incrementality testing. You are probably sitting on a lot of really good data and I respect that you can't share specifics unless it's, you know, there's some case studies that, you know, you're able to talk about. Definitely want to talk about Jones Road, um, kind of our our initial results so far and and kind of where we're going to go from it and some of the questions I want answered. But what can you tell me like generally speaking? Because I see so many debates on DTC Twitter and just like in DTC in general of like, this is the best strategy and that's one. And like brand search is incremental and brand search is not. And like, I I find so many people even throwing that word out there. And they're like, they haven't actually ran incrementality experiments. Um, I I, I know it varies against brands. Like let's start brand search. Like incremental or not, what do you find? Or does it completely depend?
0: Um, 75%, 70 to 75% of the time, it's not incremental. Um, The the more nuanced answer is it does depend. Like there's kind of- 75% Pretty, pretty legit. A lot of the time, it does. It a lot of the time, it doesn't do very much. I mean, really, and it, it just intuitively makes sense. Like, the the question. I mean, the the good thing about brand search is it's very cheap. So even if it's okay. very marginally incremental, it can be so cost efficient. Like the cost per incremental can end up being okay. Or some companies think about it, uh, you know, a little bit more as a one off. Something I tend to think about a lot of like if you're in a highly conquested competitive auction dynamic industry for brand search, it's more likely that, that your brand search is, is effective there. But something I've really been a long-term advocate of, uh, both from when I was at Google and and now as a, a third party, is using, like Google search isn't necessarily, or brand search is not always an always-on strategy. Hey, let's just always do this because it gets a really efficient CPA. Maybe it's something you use from a more flighted component of like, hey, Jones Road Beauty is launching a new product and we just really want to make sure that we're pushing people to that product. Maybe you run brand search for a week or two or, or whatever that ends up being and thinking about it from a little bit more of a flighting standpoint, because also in the world of like search dynamics, uh, conquesting an ads is super expensive. So for another company to buy Jones or beauty terms is really expensive for them. So that would be the other way of thinking about it is like by, by having a little bit of your own spend, especially during like really critical or important periods, you'd number one, be dramatically raising the price on that competitive set, but then also like Kind of like making sure that during these really important or seasonally adjusted windows that you're, you know, present and, and available. But I think the always on brand search is is the one that's going to be really challenging for folks.
1: That's interesting. I've, I've never heard anybody talk about kind of a in not always on brand search and kind of going on and off. But so for when it's not incremental, you find that people of brand search is not on in those regions. They just go organic search and they're yep. just kind of finding it organically versus a reason why maybe conquesting or, you know, brands of conquesting can be incremental is because those, some of those clicks and some of those brand clicks are getting clicked on by other Google ads and people might just forget to order or they actually might order a competitor. Is
0: that why? Yeah, exactly. So like, if other people are coming in, they might order a competitor. If there's like a lot of people, like some people will like, especially if you think of like mobile behavior, mm-hmm. you know, the brand search ad might take up the top of the screen and you just click on the thing that's there. It's actually a super interesting point or something that we've seen in our data so far. Um, and it's a little bit outside of the world of D2C, but for apps customers, people who are buying app, uh, Apple search ads, uh, which, you know, in the Apple app store, yeah. a brand search there can be super incremental. Like we're seeing super, super interesting and positive results mm. there. And, and I think it's like, it's also the, the ad format and how they're displaying ads. And like in that environment, it just takes up a lot of the page. So Mm -hmm. there there's really, you know, customers can be really fickle or, or dependent in different areas. And I think the reason why you need to run like structured experiments through a platform like house is sometimes like if you're reporting on it at a high level, like heuristic KPI, you'll look at your data and say, Hey, actually we're seeing fewer conversions. Like if we're not buying brand search, like is that really alarming? We think about our business that way. But oftentimes what brand search even does is not just causes incremental conversion. It might just cause people to sign up sooner. So like someone would have signed up on day one, if there was a brand search ad and they sign up like the next day or the day after, if they didn't get that ad. And it's uh, by running these experiments, like one week, two week, three week, four week, you kind of neutralize these effects out of the, out of the models. So interesting. um, Yeah. We, we've seen like (laughs) very long winded way of saying, like you see a lot with a lot of different brands, oh, wow. like, like it really can be all over the place, but like, if you're, if you, if you're not seeing a ton of auction pressure on your brand, you know, there's a pretty reasonable likelihood it's not doing very much. Um, but I think, you know, other places like non-brand search can be super incremental. So it really can depend.
1: Down to chat is brought to you by Postscript. In my opinion, Postscript is the SMS platform built for Shopify brands. To be totally transparent, we just switched at Jones Road to Postscript and it is the best decision we've ever made. We were on a competitor before, and they started tacking on all types of fees. Uh, the platform was not being improved at all. It was just getting, it was just getting really expensive, and, and the service we were getting was, uh, you know, just nothing compared to what we've received from PostScript uh, since, since being with them. The product with PostScript is just hands down the best that I've ever used. To me, it has the best integrations for Shopify stores of all sizes. It's got the best feature set. The segmentation is the easiest and most powerful. The pop-ups are great but really the thing that I love is I've never experienced such great service from a software provider. The only time I heard from our previous provider was around contract renewal time, but with Postscript, they've gone out of their way above and beyond to make our program uber successful. And it's really evident that they care about us getting as much value out of our program as possible. So in my opinion, with Postscript, you get the best product on the market, you get it at the best price, and you get it with the best service. There's a reason why the fastest growing Shopify brands like Dr. Squatch native olipop feastables and now Jones road Beauty are all using Postscript for their SMS program. Sign up for Postscript today to take your SMS program to new heights. So so let's say we go back to brand. I guess two options. So A it's as I understand it and you get an incrementality factor, right? And you kind of understand how incremental it's not necessarily saying shut it off, but maybe like change your in-platform targets, change your North Korean targets, and maybe don't spend as much on it and mm-hmm. and for it to be profitable and incremental, maybe you just need a better ROAS than you thought. Is that fair? Rather than just um, thinking like black or white, or you would say if it's not incremental, just shut it off.
0: So I, I tend to, th- this is just my personal opinion. I think like reasonable smart people can disagree on this. I tend not to take a super maximalist approach to these things. So let's just say, you, you know, making up a fake example, but say a company is spending a million dollars a month on brand search. And we find that it's not working. Like, you could just turn it off and move it somewhere else. And if you see really other profitable channels, maybe that's the right thing to do. But maybe a more prudent approach is saying, like, mm. could we spend 500k in, like efficiently and then run another experiment at like a lower level? Could we run 200k? Then, mm-hmm. like, you know, after like a subsequent series of tests, you're like, okay, we really don't think that this is working. Or we want to do some for some other kind of like flighted reason. Um, that could be an approach. But I think. I think sometimes people oversimplify these problems to like it works or it doesn't work without an understanding. All marketing operates on a diminishing marginal return curve. Like, I mean, there's some very nuanced answers I can give you about why it would be an S curve with ML, but like really it's, you know, in aggregate at a million dollars, it might not be incremental, but it doesn't mean that there's not a washed out pocket within that where you could have a far more efficient, you know, like Uh incremental and then, you know, reallocate that those investments into other channels that are really effective.
1: Well, I, th- I think that's a really good point and topic. Let, let me know if I'm thinking about this correctly, but like one thing that I've kind of noticed is, so like last click, you know, say we want to let last click, like we use like more of like a one day click, but we don't have the same one day click targets in like Northbean for every channel because we understand, or at least we try to understand where they are at in the funnel. And, mm-hmm. you know, our Google ads or brand search, has to have a very high, very strong ROS um, mm-hmm. versus maybe something like Meta is in the middle because we consider that mid-funnel, and then like YouTube, we're confident being below a one because we have data or at least have theories that it is more upper funnel, right? So like mm-hmm. one day click might not capture all the value. Can you use incrementality to kind of downweight and upweight certain channels depending on where they are at in the funnel, maybe? Like I think what you said of talking about maybe. All right. Like, cause I think everybody has had it where they've had some senior leadership or board member or whatever be like, Google Rose is so great. Or like our Facebook retargeting is great. Like, put our money there, like put our budget there, cut Facebook prospecting. And they're like, well, how do you think people got there? Right? Like, yeah. is that something that you can kind of help use these experiments to help not necessarily shut off channels and be black and white, but like reallocate to get theoretically the most efficiency?
0: Absolutely. And I'll say that line of thinking is very dangerous. When you just look at those things at the very bottom like i always thought about this as like you need to feed the top of the funnel in order to have efficiency totally. at the bottom of the funnel like uh, uh, you know you're, you're gonna run into some big issues if you don't um so this is like a really powerful use case for three cell experiments with house so imagine just making up an example but imagine that a company like imagine jones road views search as lower funnel and you view meta as mid funnel um and imagine like today it's 50 50 what you could be saying is like, Hey, what if we actually change the allocation of like, you know, we have a cross network experiment of Google and meta in the same cells. And instead of like you have a, a BAU cell of like 50, 50, and then you have another cell of like, what if we put 75% towards meta and 25% towards Google of like feed that upper funnel and assume other search or SEO will pick up some of the stuff in the bottom Mm -hmm. funnel. You can run these strategies as head to head against each other of like, not only like incrementality within a specific channel, but like different allocations of media. So for some of our larger customers, this is like a really common use case is companies will, um, will test an MMM allocation. So if you run an MMM, you get a new, hey, this is the recommended allocation. They'll say, great, let's run that new recommendation against what we were doing before to see if it's actually performing better. And that can be like Oh ways man, that change. makes
1: so much sense. We're we're like yeah. dipping our toes into MMM with Northbeam, and it's so cool because it'll give us these like optimal spend allocations. Mm-hmm. And that like that like makes it click for me because I'm kinda like, all right, cool, like this is great. What do we actually do? If I take that advice and do it, how do I know if that worked or not? Exactly. So that's so that's like- what people get when they're talking about calibrating MMM that's what exactly that
0: like. that's like an MMM calibration with an experiment framework like house and, and it's one of the things that's so powerful about it because you know ultimately like in the world of MMM like in doing the best that you can it's always a forecast hey it's like often it's a logistic regression or like you get this data and you say here here's how we think that things will will net out the really powerful thing through like an experiment platform like us is like all right let's see if it actually worked. like mm-hmm. let's see if that what, what that allocation is doing that gives you then an adjustment factor that you can feed back into your MMM to just calibrate it and make it even more efficient and more effective. Yeah.
1: It seems like it's like, I don't know. It's like, I don't know the best analogy for it, but it's almost like they're cousins and like they can kind of help each other mm-hmm. to kind of help I, calibrate your spend.
0: I view, I view the experiments that we do in MMMs as just like, they're super intertwined, super, you know, additive. Like I wouldn't say it necessarily makes sense for every company. Cause I think like generally speaking, MMMs, at least this is my personal opinion, tend to work better for a little larger businesses, just because smaller yeah. businesses, if you're growing really quickly, like it's hard for those, those regressions to like keep up when you don't have like really stable seasonality results, as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, but the experiments are what can come in of just saying, Hey, this is what we're actually seeing. And then you can make it more effective as you go. So like super synergistic. And I think things that can partner really well together.
1: All right, cool. Let's do a little bit of a rapid fire. I'm just going to ask you channel and just 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 keep it quick, incremental or not. Obviously, give give more context because I know it depends. Yeah. But like, I'm very curious. Like like meta, How,
0: what, uh, what
1: do you find there?
0: Meta is pretty good. Meta Meta is usually pretty, pretty quite, good. Yeah, have and you I'd tested like,
1: ASC versus manual campaigns?
0: Um, I, I probably or shouldn't be the, has... the the expert in giving the specifics of the things that we've tested, but like generally speaking, like meta's targeting is quite good like they're 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 really efficient um uh and have really like embraced a lot of like the incrementality based initiatives like from the beginning of their marketing so um you know we we definitely see pretty strong results there
1: any experience experience with any upper funnel events on meta something i'm really curious about like what happens at at least our size now is like when we do you know asc conversion optimized campaigns like it, 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 to me, functions middle funnel. If we look at Northbeam, a lot of the traffic is returning visitors, um, mm-hmm. and so a lot of people would be like, hey, you should get, you know, a Meta rep, so we'll recommend, go go upper funnel to kind of fill that funnel and kind of, you know, reach new people. And that's, again, that's a hard thing to measure with attribution. That's a hard thing to measure with, within platform because it's not going to look good. But, you know, is that anything that you've seen any data on with us?
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we've definitely seen like, uh, and I can say very broadly, like meta is pretty good at when you give it a target, it optimizes pretty hard to that target. The reason yeah. why something like upper funnel or like site visits where you find that it ends up being a lot of returning customers is just, you know, the cost of bringing in entirely new customers is always higher than, than existing. Like it, it's just, it's harder to get them to click. It's harder to get them to go through. Sure. So, so there's, there's just some inherent challenges in that, but um, I think Meta can be can definitely be quite good, but like that's those are actually areas. I mean, as a totally orthogonal point, like we've seen really encouraging results with like OTT in those domains. Where like, okay, like so other, I was going to kind of get
1: into some of these like upper funnel, you know, non click based. But yeah, yeah, I think definitely testing some of the Meta Meta upper funnel events is something I'm super curious. Whether it would be video views, we run all of our stuff through a quiz funnel, so I'm I would be really curious about lead gen and seeing mm-hmm. like I don't know if what like the ad stock is like the delay if we could do like a longer term experiment and see if like we've run lead gen and even if yep. like the ROAS isn't good if people like longer term are able, are actually buying later on. Yeah, get them and in?
0: like what you could be doing is like you could be running multi like several month long experiments that are always running in the background and then smaller, like, that doesn't mean like, like, you know, one of the, again, cool things about house is we can run multiple experiments concurrently using our platforms. So you could have this like longer term upper funnel experiment running with these smaller experiments or optimization experiments happening along the way to see like, do you notice this larger deviation start to take place over time? Um, and, And also to your point on like, I'll say like upper funnel that we've seen generally at houses. Um, there's also really places where, you know, the cost of the reach is more or less efficient. So if you think of like, really like, Hey, we want to bring in new customers, like, you know, trying to like suppress existing members. Um, we find like at certain uh, there's like certain low level reach thresholds, certain medium ones that can be like a sweet spot. And then some where you're trying to get those really, you know, the people that you haven't reached yet, trying to get them to your site. And the cost of bringing those people there is just prohibitively expensive. And like, it's not just like whether you can get them to your site or not, but there's like a huge efficiency conversation for it.
1: What uh, what would some of those channels be?
0: Um, like, you, I mean, YouTube is one that that tends to do really well, like for those upper funnels. Say okay. OTT tends to do well for upper funnel. Generally speaking, I, I, I completely agree. I, I think Meta tends to perform best as like somewhere between middle and lower funnel. Um, TikTok is actually one that's performed pr- quite well uh, upper funnel too. We're, really like,
1: interesting. I, I was going to ask about that. I feel like I've heard such mixed mixed things. I have my yeah. own experiences with TikTok, but we haven't met, measured it in incrementally, so I'd be super curious there.
0: I mean, it's it's also one of those areas where we see. I'd say, generally speaking, the infrastructure is like you know, for a company like TikTok, it's a lot newer than it is for like a Google or a Meta. So there's a lot that they're working on in the ads products. Um, we definitely see it being hit or miss, but for the people, it hits. It's really efficient. And it's really effective. And like, you see it upper funnel? Um, you can see it upper funnel as well. Yeah. Like like people clicking through. I think one of the challenges that they have is like their platform is just so engaging. People tend to not want to leave it. But um, we, we have seen some encouraging results there. Or, you know, we, we've done a number of experiments in the world of TikTok. And sometimes it just means like 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 TikTok is a platform I think companies inherently know to be valuable. There's this question is like, is the ad product valuable? Because like maybe it is That's on something. the influencer side. Maybe it's not on the, on the advertising side. And we've had customers where we've run uh, these incrementality tests in TikTok, not seeing the upper funnel or lower funnel impact that they're looking for. They've kind of stopped spending, rethought their marketing program, rethought their creative, rethought their targeting. And then we've seen really efficient results. So I'd say it's so uh, totally a little bit more of like your gold mining, but there's definitely gold there. Um, it's just not sense. quite. You got to find
1: it. No, that, that's interesting what you say because I I think I've had mixed results, but definitely notice like the value. And again, this is with, before using your incrementality, but like the value is not all, all captured in clicks. And I think it makes sense what you're saying. Like people want to stay on the platform. So they might see you, they might search later, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I think that would be an interesting one because we've brought TikTok spend really low. At one point last year, we were actually 50-50 same as Meta and, and TikTok. We found the LTV was not there where we wanted it compared to it. So, but that, that would be an interesting one to test. Um, yeah, I mean, our, our first test that I'm happy to talk about was, was YouTube. So we ran a three cell YouTube, so hold out normal business as usual spend and then 50% increase. Cause we wanted to know how incremental was this. We, you know, we, uh, felt good about kind of our one day click and North beam looked pretty good. Cause theoretically it should be a lot of views. And if we did assume a lot was views, like then we felt like we were very profitable with our, you know, our one day click targets. Post-purchase survey looked really good. As we scaled up, we saw more AMER look good, but we wanted a little bit more confidence, a little bit more of that, you know, scientific validation. So we ran it. We actually, I think today just completed the test. We kind of looked after a week, which is finally looked. And what was really cool for us is business as usual normal spend was was incremental, was like medium to high incrementality. Um, increased spend. So 50% higher was was tell me if this is any good, it was eight percent incremental, so eight uh, percent lift. Eight percent really to me good. seems pretty
0: yeah. high. Yeah, I mean, this is the the thing. Like, it's also one of the just like the big things to, I think for people to wrap their heads around from an incrementality perspective is like usually think people think about ROAS and they're like four hundred percent or like these really big numbers in the world of incrementality. Like, ten percent is amazing. Like, ten percent is huge. Like, like there, there's actually a point where if you if you start seeing your ads get like fifteen or twenty percent incremental you actually should be more concerned that you aren't driving enough organic tractors. Cause like ideally, you know, the best customers are people that you don't have to serve advertising to at all. They just sure. can't come to your company. So if, if all of your business is driven through those ads, like ideally, you actually want the incrementality percentage to go down over time. And for very large enterprises, like, you know, they could have like a huge party at three or 4%. Like that, like mm-hmm. that is, you know, that's a really big win for, for a large company. And it's why, you know, using a platform like house is so important is like being really precise and like, you know, three or 4% is, is just, is critical to understand, like certainly at an enterprise scale, if things are working or not.
1: So, so help help me kind of interpret this. Obviously I've talked to your team about it and we're kind of working on it, but help me interpret how you would. So again, we have like a 2% incrementality, you know, factor, 2% percentage, you know, in, um, business as usual compared to holdout. And then the 50% higher, we're at like eight, Mm -hmm. um, and then we have like, you know, I don't, I don't want to say exactly what the numbers are, but like yeah. the cost per incremental is, is quite a bit better on the increased spend. Um, mm-hmm. How do we go? In, and if we're thinking about things normally in a CPA target, right? Let's say like our cost per incremental on the, on the increased spend is probably 30% better than our CPA. Like, how do we think about that? And then calibrating whether it's our North Beam targets or in platform targets to kind of make decisions off of.
0: Yeah, so, so something you could do is like a lot of our customers do is they calculate something called an incrementality factor of like, hey, what were the number of incremental conversions over the number of platform reported conversions or the report conversions that you're seeing out of Northbeam? And then you could just apply like the lifted over what you're getting out of Northbeam and like, hey, this is a percentage multiplier we can put on top of our MTA to, to drive some value in it. Okay. But also like like what I'll, what I'll kind of speak to too of like my trying not to have like, a completely extreme maximalist approach to these things like really what i think this result is showing you is like you have a really strong data point that you could spend more in youtube profitably like like i probably wouldn't go to like it's exactly this percentage it's exactly you know increasing by 50 percent. but it's like how do we start increasing this and seeing what the results are getting back and like as our business is growing because um you know it's something i've also seen from time to time is like Companies have seasonality in their businesses. You like, There's a lot that can be going on that are beyond the controls of specifically what hap- what's happening in the ad platform during this period of time. But what it is, is it's a really encouraging signal and really encouraging data that you can be like, hey, I want to, you know, if you're looking at platform reporting, you could calibrate that off of these results. Like knowing, knowing Jones Road, you can be really applying this against your MTA and your North Beam results. But really, I think the, the question then was like, all right, let's start. Let's start scaling this up. Like, let's start to see what that looks like over time. And you can potentially run more experiments, but uh, maybe it's something where you, you start to scale it up. Uh, you also have to always have the question of like, all right, so where is this investment going to come from? Is it going to come from another channel? Is it just going to be net new budget? Um, but then, you know, testing again next quarter to say like, is it still performing in the ways that we expect? And like, you know, like the, the, the reality of like, hey, this is a 50% increase. Like maybe the right amount is 25% up or maybe the right amount is 250% up, like you're, you're not. Or quite- maybe we can
1: do different, different objectives. So, you know, we can do one, like we consider this one, the 50% increase, we kept it on sales, but we yep. could do like reach and split up the budget a little exactly. bit for, yep. a, for a different one. That exactly. So, it's and sort then, so of
0: like more questions to answer and more. Yeah, yeah. So
1: we can, we can assume that based on this results, we should, we can apply some incrementality factor and, and things look better than in platform does and better than just click only data What's which, which makes sense. If we believe that YouTube is upper funnel, you've mm-hmm. probably seen this where like, you know, there's data now that like almost 50% of all YouTube watching is happening on a television. I'm mm-hmm. like a smart people, which is kind of wild, but like there's no clicks.
2: Terrible there, attribution. You know what I mean? Big problem. Terrible yeah. clicks.
1: So, so this is a perfect example. And again, I, I'm, I feel really confident because we're, we're going to make pretty significant investments in this like summer slow for us, but probably Q3, Q4, pretty significant investments, especially ahead of Black Friday and stuff like that. I think the size we're at, it's like, we can no longer just go meta, meta, meta. Like, we can only do that when, you know, what I always tell people is like, meta is the best at getting people who are ready to buy to buy. Yep. But you have to get them ready to buy. And and to me, that's when these other platforms have to come in.
0: And well, it's it's also funny, of like, just hearing you say that, like, getting people ready to buy and then buying, like, there's like, there's like a, an embedded incrementality question in that of like, well, if they're really ready to buy, do they need the ad at all? Or would you have gotten them That's some fair. other way? Like, like, That's um,
1: fair. That's fair. I, maybe I maybe there's a little bit more nuance there because only because like meta is very high, highly incremental for us, but...
0: Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, I, I think meta for, for a lot of like the D2C space, I think like a lot of companies, businesses were built on meta. And like, this is where I, I don't want to get like a high horse about how these systems work. But I think like, if you think about, you know, and I know this will be like a hornet's nest, but like an advantage shopping plus or performance max which I know is like a very mixed review from an advertising standpoint. And like, we actually just released a pretty cool case study on PMAX. Yeah, let's talk,
1: I would love to talk through that.
0: But like, um, when you you go into these areas, like if you think about it from like a really broad strategic standpoint from like Meta and from Google's POV, you know they know some of their inventory is really valuable and they know some of their inventory is not as valuable. And the solution is like, let's bundle it. (laughs) Like it'll Mm -hmm. come out to an efficient enough CPA, things will be cheap enough put some like visibility controls in place. Like, you know, I think when we did this in the early days of like universal app campaigns, like some advertisers refused to buy it because they're like, we don't know how much is coming via brand search and we don't think that's incremental. So like, we're not doing it full stop, mm. but really it's like, it's these more aggregated <laughs> approaches to like how they're able to bundle things together and potentially make more mm-hmm. money. And I think like our caraway case study, which we can talk about is just like super interesting use case of, you know, even within these more black box style ads products, like, how do you start to optimize them in a way that makes sense for you
1: so caraway did three cell they did hold out pmax with excuse me with brand exclusions and pmax with no brand exclusions is that correct mm-hmm. yep and what what did they find
0: and they found that uh, P-match, uh pmax uh, without brand exclusions so like including including brand terms in pmax ended up being i think pretty considerably more efficient like we can kind of direct people to our case study on it but the results were were quite good from them and i think this is where, again, I think there's like that more nuanced, longer tail, like where i said earlier, like sometimes advertising can work on a bit of an S-curve, where if you think of like any sort of conversion optimizing algorithm, like a, a Pmax and Advantage Shopping Plus, like any of these types of systems, uh, often they can just do a better job in optimizing to conversions with more conversion volume. So even if some sure. of those conversions are not as you know incremental itself, what it does is it's giving Google more signal of what types of users are likely to convert. And so even if those are really like inexpensive and potentially efficient uh, conversion results, they're then able to bring in other types of customers who reflect those people who might be, might per- be purchasing on those brand uh, those brand terms. And that creates this halo of efficiency that can, that can happen for the, for the company.
1: And then gives them more data within that ad group and that campaign, which yep, is where the exactly. targeting. So that makes sense. That that models what I see on a uh, on Meta. This was even prior to Advantage Plus when we kind of stopped retargeting. But I also find this with with Advantage Plus how you can kind of pick what percentage of you know spend you want to go after existing customers that you upload and stuff like that. Is mm-hmm. when that is to zero or when people are hard excluding customers, I find right. efficiency is worse and sometimes. Um, you actually spend more on existing customers. I believe it's, it's the machine trying to find data and being like starving for data versus when mm-hmm. you allow that cap to get a little higher so you can go after existing people. It'll almost show to them first, get some data, and then be able to model off of that a little bit better. Is that kind exactly of what you're
0: saying? A hundred percent. Like these are, the exact, these are the exact kind of like counterintuitive areas where intuition doesn't actually make business sense. Where like your intuition is like, we want new customers. Let's exclude our existing customers. But sometimes when you go for those really hard exclusions, the models aren't getting enough data to train and like it'll depend on the product a little bit like companies I've worked with who tend to have the hardest, uh, the hardest customer exclusions uh, are like subscription products. Hey, if someone's Mm -hmm. already subscribing, we might not need them to do something else. Um, Sometimes I've seen people use that for retention. Like, how do we target existing customers, let them know about functionality or or something else that just makes them more likely to, or like less likely to churn and more likely to upsell them potentially. But really, I think people tend to get way too concerned around, hey, should we be excluding these existing customers? Because like, really what we're all trying to do is like feed the system more data such that Mm -hmm. it can build better, stronger relationships in other networks and bring in more- But that's something you
1: could test if you want to do a three-sell, do advantage plus 0% new customers, 10%, 15%, test that, see not just what gives you the best one-day click, but what's giving you the best new customer. 100%.
0: And and this is one where, if I had to guess, I think it will be particularly customer-specific. I think companies can see wildly different results here because based on the type of product you have or how, like, the purchase cycles or what you're trying to get them to buy or how you're trying to get it to buy, um, I think there'd be, like, a pretty broad variation on this. And it's, like, a great example of, like, you know, generally with like the world of testing or incrementality, I say like, focus on the big bets first. Like, how is Google doing? How is Meta doing? How is YouTube doing? But then when you like, all right, let's go into some of the specifics. Like, should we be enabling 10% of existing customers or 30 or 20? Like, those are some really powerful nuances that think companies will get So crazy. you just keep them
1: rolling. Start with big stuff. And then once you get something, you just continue to keep it rolling. You just always have something going in the back burner. Yeah, but, you know, the the goal channels. is sort
0: of like, you're just sort of calibrating where you are. Like, if you if you think about it as like, you know, I live in the Bay Area. I live in you know former Googler. I live in Mountain View. Say I'm trying to get to New York. You know, the the question for me isn't like, how do I get plopped right in the middle of Midtown Manhattan. <coughs> sort of like, all right, first, how do I go east? And then once I'm going east, how do I go northeast? And then like, all right, I'm in the the northeastern corridor. Like, how do I get to New York State? And like, it's really like, how do you get yourself to the right place? I think often people want like a one stop, do this one thing, one time you have perfect results, they're incredibly clean, you know, everything that you're ever trying to do. But the reality is like the world is messy. And like the, like, I think the companies who tend to do the best here are getting better every day, using this type of data to just get closer and closer and closer. So that way, you know, at some point, like all of your marketing is like in that example, like the middle of midtown Manhattan, and then the question then is like, okay, we've really dialed things in. How do we make sure things don't go too far out of this radius? Like that's where the question becomes over time.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm, I'm learning a lot. Um, this is great. I gotta, I gotta get going soon. And so I'll totally let you go, but this is great. I had a gr- great time chatting. I learned a lot. I think our, our listeners will learn a lot. Not only, you know, people, smaller, smaller brands who are just getting their feet wet and learning about this stuff all the way to kind of, you know, eight and nine figure brands who are doing this. Um, Want to let you kind of shout shout out House, kind of plug anything you want to. Where can people learn about you and then find more about House if they're interested?
0: Yeah, you. I mean, like we, we've talked a lot about the the types of things that we do, but really, I think where you know where we're most helpful or where to give us a call is just if you're if you're trying to have more data for your decisions and you're trying to like improve over time, like you know, get some hard data, calibrate it to the right results. And kind of builds out alternative frameworks to understand effectiveness that can be compatible with an MTA or an MMM or platform reporting. Uh, everything from House is at house.io, H A U S dot I O. And we've got like great case studies there, product solutions, But but give us a shout and we're always happy to chat.
1: Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, definitely highly recommend house happy customer and definitely helping us kind of learn and grow and scale. So if you're, you know, if you're kind of eight, nine figures and you're multiple channels and <laughs> want to know what's working best or where you should put your money going forward, highly recommend it. It's been insanely helpful for us. But thanks so much, Zach. I will, uh, we'll talk to you soon.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Cody.